Good morning. It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, January 6th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The end of the calendar year means the end of sport hunting for deer in Sitka. But the subsistence season continues through January. The changeover has always created a bit of confusion among hunters. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Sitka District Ranger Perry Edwards has personally been hunting in January before and paused when he realized that he may have been close to taking a deer illegally. Number one is you need to know what land you're standing on before you pull the trigger. The Forest Service has published a map of federally managed lands where subsistence hunting for deer in the Sitka area remains legal and of the city, state, and privately owned lands where it is not. Some of the areas that are out of bounds in January are pretty popular during the five previous months of the sport hunting season. That means not Bear Bay, that means not the Magoons, that means not Catlian, that means not Borough Sitka, which is like up Indian River. Um, state land Stargavin Valley is all state land on either side of the road on the Nelson Logging Road as you go out and is also the first four or 500 yards of that ATV trail that goes out there. Other commonly hunted areas that are off limits during the January subsistence season include the Green Lake Road Corridor and the Green Lake Watershed and the Kalinan Bay Estuary and Sea Lion Cove Trail. Despite these restrictions, there is still a huge amount of territory available during the subsistence-only hunt, and Edwards wants to encourage people to take advantage of Sitka's subsistence privileges. If a hunter has any doubts at all, the Sitka Ranger District can lend a hand. At the Forest Service, we also, if somebody has a really specific thing, like, I really want to know here, we can really help people. You know, they can give a call to our front desk, and we can create a map that maybe is a map even of an aerial photo that shows where that is. So if they're like, how far up Indian River do I need to be? I can't really tell. From, I'm not good at reading a topo map. or I'm not good at reading this map. We can help them get that so that we can help keep them out of trouble. Because of Alaska's unique co-management agreement, both Forest Service law enforcement and the state wildlife troopers enforce federal subsistence regulations. To stay on the right side of the law, Edwards reminds hunters that they'll need a new state hunting license for 2021 to participate in the January subsistence season, although their harvest tickets, or tags, from 2020 are still valid. He also reminds users of Sitka's boat ramps that they'll need to obtain a new launch permit from the Harbor Department. And Edwards especially wants hunters to mind their safety practices when hunting in January, like having reliable communication and notifying others of your plans. It's easy to get caught off guard, he said, when things go wrong and you're not prepared for it. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. You can find a map of the federally managed lands in the Sitka area on our website, kcaw.org, along with a link to federal subsistence hunting regulations. Print copies of the regs are also available at local sporting goods stores. Governor Mike Dunleavy appointed 51 Alaskans to fill seats on the 137 active state boards and commissions at the end of December. Among those chosen was Jessica Adams, the city treasurer in the Chichikov Island community of Pelican. KCAW's Erin McKinstry spoke with Adams and has this report. Jessica Adams is a busy woman. In addition to her regular duties as Pelican City Treasurer in the roughly 90-person town, she's helping coordinate the town's response to COVID-19, navigating spending CARES Act funding, and administering the town's coronavirus tests. She's also a mom and serves on the local school board. 
and she was recently appointed to serve with 15 other Alaskans on the state's emergency response commission. I figured I would give it a shot and see if I I had a chance. I've never done any boards and commissions before, so I wasn't sure if I'd have a, a shot at getting on it, but lo and behold, I did. Adams has a background in emergency medicine and firefighting, and she's intimately familiar with the challenges of responding to emergencies in rural communities like Pelican. Getting medevacs out here, you know, that's the kind of thing. Getting the training that we need out here is kind of an issue because we are so remote, and it is so hard to get people into communities like ours. So there's there's definitely some speed bumps and challenges. <laughs> She says she hopes to serve as a relatable representative for people in rural communities around the region. I've always been a firm believer that people need to have more of a voice, and I, I feel like that is a big thing out here, especially in the rural communities. There needs to be a voice for all of the people out, way out here. Adam's three-year term lasts until 2023. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. While reported COVID cases have been trending down in Sitka in the new year, Petersburg is seeing its highest COVID-19 active case count since the start of the pandemic. As KFSK's Angela Denning reports, the recent outbreak is causing the Petersburg School District to start the new semester remotely. School in Petersburg has been in person for most of the fall, but it will be distance learning for all students starting this week. Superintendent Erica Klupainter says the district made the decision after consulting with the Petersburg Medical Center, Public Health, and the Emergency Operations Center about the local outbreak. She says the district is being cautious about mixing up 500 students and staff after the winter break. Besides the known positive COVID cases, there are many pending tests in town. We have some people who are who are really having pretty serious cases, it sounds like. So it's not just sort of the asymptomatic test that pops up randomly. Um, it sounds like there's a little bit um, more symptomatic cases in town, which is, which is concerning. Petersburg's junior high and high school students already have their laptops, and their schedule won't change that much. Clue Painter stresses that remote learning doesn't mean all-day screen time for them. People sitting in front of a screen from, you know, 8.15 to, to 2 is not the goal. So there will be some opportunities for, um, for movement and time to, you know, receive instruction and then either shut down the video or, you know, just log out for a bit and then log back in. The elementary school will also be remote, but will focus on the subject of reading this week and some optional activities. Elementary teachers plan to deliver computers and other resources to students on Tuesday. Clue Painter says it will be a low-key week for the young students who have a harder time with distance learning. It's just a different beast. It's, it's just more challenging to navigate that for kids and, and for families, too. The school district will reevaluate the community's COVID status next weekend before scheduling school for next week. Two of the new Petersburg COVID cases, announced Monday afternoon, are staff persons at the Petersburg Medical Center. PMC is moved to a red operational status which means patients with appointments will be contacted by medical center staff to either reschedule or utilize telehealth services. Petersburg's Emergency Operations Center changed the community status to a moderate risk level. Incident Commander Carl Hagerman. It's more cases than we have seen concentrated at one time throughout the pandemic. Petersburg's travel-related cases include within the state, out of the state, and international travel. Hagerman says some of the other cases, which are community spread, 
are related to one family, but others are not connected to one another. From all the information that I have so far, um, they're apparently unrelated. So not only is the virus in Petersburg, but it is, is not isolated to a certain group or a uh, specific travel occurrence. Hagerman says residents should continue to wear face coverings and social distance when around non-household members and test twice when returning from travel. The EOC encourages essential business and government offices to stagger staffing and for bars and restaurants to reduce capacity. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Governor Mike Dunleavy declared a disaster after a severe December storm swept through southeast Alaska. KHNS's Henry Leisha reports. Last month, heavy rainfall caused destructive landslides, mudslides, and flooding in communities throughout southeast Alaska. Several homes were destroyed, and two residents were killed in Haines. Jeremy Zedek is a spokesman for the State Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. He said the state responded by authorizing funding for emergency protective measures. Some of those emergency protective measures could be transportation of people out of a disaster area or housing them, or perhaps repairing a road temporarily to gain access to an area that was cut off by the disaster event. In the wake of the disaster, state officials collected data from homeowners about the extent of the damage. On December 29th, the governor amended the disaster declaration to include assistance for individuals and families who suffered damages and expenses related to the storm. Zedek says the funding is provided in grants. If a home was flooded, it may be able to uh, help repair those damages. Um, There's other needs assistance, so if people lost all of their personal possession, their transportation, or if they had medical, funeral, or dental expenses related to the disaster, those may be eligible as well. The assistance also includes a temporary housing program to help displaced residents find accommodation and pay for it. It will be available for up to 18 months for homeowners and three months for renters. Registration for the state's disaster assistance for individuals began on Monday. It's available for residents of Haines, Skagway, Juneau, Wrangell, Petersburg, Sitka, Ketchikan, Annette Island, and Chatham. Zedek says residents will need to catalog their property damage before applying. When they register, we want them to have a description of their damages or losses, home ownership documents, insurance information, personal identification, and proof of occupancy, something like a a utility bill. The deadline to register for individual disaster assistance is February 26th. Registration is available online at ready.alaska.gov. In Haines, I'm Henry Leisha. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. This is morning.